Great Labor Day uh, weekend. I, I don't know, for some, I know this is kind of a depressing, it's an exciting weekend because you get it the extra day, but it's got to be depressing for some of you because it starts to really feel like summer is over. And I, I know for us that uh, that's how it is a little bit. But today uh, we want to celebrate something. So next week is going to be a big, big day here for Beach Point. Uh, and it, it, at the end of summer, we do a beach baptism and so uh, next Sunday is our beach baptism. And so we want, to, uh, we want to talk a little bit about that today. We have already had over 20 baptisms uh, here this year through our campuses. Some of you in this room were baptized already this year. Some of you even at the beach. Uh, but we are, uh, we've had over 300 in the last like seven years be baptized, somewhere around 50 to 80 people a year. Uh, just an incredible celebration of what God is doing in the new life that, that is happening here. Now, I, I, let me just prep, let's say one thing really quick. It is Beach Baptism Day, but it's really a baptism day. We're going to have baptisms. Uh, we'll be ready to do baptisms in all the services. So if you prefer your baptism water to be a, a uh, nice 90 degrees, uh, waveless, no shark sightings, things like that, we will have the tank open for all three services. We, will, we are happy to, to do that. In fact, um, uh, when I was a, a junior in high school, I was baptized here uh, in the tank. And one of the things that I've learned now to tell people from my own experience is, as you enter the tank, enter slowly and hold the rail. I was so excited. I hit that first step and I baptized myself. I just, it looked like a, like a showgirl was being baptized. All you saw were these legs like kicking out, up out of the, the, from the side. So I'm really excited about this. And baptism is a really important part of the Christian experience. And we, Ken and I realize that, you know, as long as we've been uh, pastoring on the two campuses and preaching and things like that, that we talk about baptism in all kinds of ways, but we've never actually done a sermon about baptism. And so we have this one standalone week. Next week, we start a brand new series. Uh, but we, we realize uh, that what a perfect opportunity for us to talk about this. Now, a lot of you have been baptized. So you're thinking, well, I can work on my fantasy football draft or things like that. Here's what I want, to, here, I want you to, to see that today is really important because for those of us who have been baptized, we want to think a little bit about what this really still means for us today as we, as we watch others, as we celebrate with others uh, in this. And so today what I want to do is talk a little bit about the what and the why and the how, uh, even long after our own baptism experience. Now, when you talk about this, uh, you have to realize that in a church our size, we have a lot of different experiences. We come from different traditions and family backgrounds. And so baptism could have meant a lot of different things for you uh, growing up. If you grew up in this church, uh, you might think, well, this church was called First Baptist for a long time. So we must know what we're doing because we've got it right there in the name. Like, like we're, we're, we're definitely the ones that have had it figured out. Or, or maybe, like for myself, I was baptized as an infant. Uh, you, uh, maybe uh, uh, baptism was attached to salvation as you grew up or, or the way, the tradition you grew up. And so you might have experienced a baptism as a child or maybe you went to a, a pastor and said, hey, I think I'm ready to be baptized. And before you know it, you were underwater thinking, how did I get here? Like this, where did this transition happen? And there could be all kinds of different things. For some people, baptism really can almost be superstitious. Uh, we start thinking, I, you know, I just got to get baptized. It's almost like getting your boarding pass at the Southwest Gate. Like you're, I just got to make sure I've got my ticket to, to, to heaven. I got to get baptized and kind of clear, check all those boxes. Or I've got to get grandma baptized, uh, or my grandson baptized, or whoever it is you think you have to get, because if I don't, I, I, there's just no sense of assurance that they're going to heaven. And I want to work through that uh, a little bit, and we'll talk through it a little bit and see how, how baptism 
uh, is practicing what we do here. Uh, share a little bit about that. But the reason why we here see baptism as such an important part of the Christian life and experience is because of something that Jesus said. So Jesus gave a commandment. He gave a commission to his church in the, in the uh, leading right up to before he ascended back into heaven. So he is, after his resurrection, he's with the, his disciples and he shares these words. Remember these words. He says, remember, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, what we can agree on, what we see there is there's a command. There's a command that as we go into the world and make disciples, they are to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is something Jesus has told us, has implored us to do. So we as leaders and we as the church, we are called to make disciples and make sure those disciples are baptized. That's where there's agreement. Now, after that, as far as how you do it, the depth of the water, uh, when it happens in your lifetime, that's where all the debate, that's where all the questions come from. Uh, and we'll, but, but here's the one thing I think that we can be clear on, and it's our big idea today, that baptism is for everyone who finds new life in Jesus. Baptism is for everyone who finds new life in Jesus. Jesus wanted everyone who wanted to trust him, who are ready to follow him to be baptized. Now, it's interesting if we we think about leading up to this moment, um, baptism uh, really kind of leading up to this moment. So this word to baptize means to immerse or to wash, to plunge, to dip. And it was a word that that was used for different purposes. In fact, you can find ancient writings that talk about how to make pickles. You take the cucumber and you baptize it in water and then you baptize it in vinegar. And, and so there's this way this word was used in different ways. But uh, if you were someone who was going to convert to Judaism, so before Jesus, if you were going to be, if you were a Gentile, you were a non-Jewish person, but you wanted to convert to Judaism, there was a process you went through. So you would uh, so here's what would happen. If you were a male, you would be circumcised. Uh, you would share in this covenant meal. Uh, you would have a meal where you kind of, uh, maybe a Passover meal or something, where you, you kind of understood the story. There was a sacrifice that was required. And there was a ceremonial washing. And so you would take yourself, not someone else, you would take yourself and there would be this, this washing, this, you, this baptism where you would wash yourself by yourself. They called it baptism. And in the sense of, moving from ritually unclean to purifying yourself. It was an initiation into the faith. It was, uh, there was, and there was a sense that there was a new association. There was a new identification and that there was a, a new commitment. You were committing yourself to the Torah, to the law of God and to this, this way of life. And so there was commitment. It was all tied in. And so uh, baptism came to take on a, a, a really special meaning, that word, so beyond just saying you would wash something, it, to baptize something, there was kind of this ceremonial washing. In fact, what we see is, remember, right before Jesus comes, we're told that someone's going to come and prepare the way for people to hear, hear the message, what it is that God is about to do. We know that uh, from the, the story, it was his cousin John. And so about uh, 30 AD, John his cousin appears out in the wilderness and he's preaching and he's telling the people God is about to do something. And he's preparing the way. He's, he's saying, repent, meaning turn your life back to God. Don't, you don't want to miss it. 
So his job was clear the path, clear the way, make sure they're, they're straight paths so that when the Messiah comes, we can take him in and we can, we can connect with him in all ways. And what was it that John was doing? He was baptizing people. In fact, he got known as John the, not the washer, not the dipper, John the baptizer. He was, he was doing something. He was baptizing people. Now, it's significant because two things are happening for the first time. Number one, someone else is baptizing uh, people. John and his disciples are baptizing. But notice who they're baptizing. Think about who they're baptizing. They're now baptizing Jews. These are not Gentiles coming into Judaism or anything. These are Jews. He's saying, look, the Messiah is coming. Turn your heart to God. Get ready for him. And as a sign of that, come down with me into this water. Let me wash you. Let me, let me take you under. Let me baptize you. So that in essence, there's a sign that you are ready. You are clean. You are, God, I'm, I'm all in on what you're about to do. And so this is all happening. As, and then it, we see Jesus' ministry uh, uh, come forward there. And then after the resurrection, we see baptism again. Take this whole kind of new turn. But the unique turn is what Jesus had commanded them to do. To make disciples. And now you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so there's this powerful thing that's being done uh, in this time. So what I want us to do today is I want us to look at one of those stories uh, of the church and, and the baptism that happens. And in this, I, 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 let me be really clear. I have an agenda today. Here's the agenda. Uh, number one, if you have not been baptized, I want you to get baptized next Sunday. Okay, I want you to sign up. I want you to be baptized next Sunday. And we'll talk a little bit how to do that and why you should do that. Uh, but here's the second thing. For those of us who have been baptized, I want us to, to understand a little better that when we're watching people, I don't want us just to cheer and, and, and stuff because of what we see in them. But I want something, when we see it, I want something to resonate in us that says to us, yes, that's my heart too. That's who I am. It's kind of like um, my wife and I will experience this a little bit. Uh, uh, I used to do almost all the weddings here. Uh, and now as I've gotten older, uh, now the young guys get to do the weddings. They're doing most of the weddings. So now we're sitting there and people ask us, you know, ask me, oh, are you sad you're not doing it? I'm like, no, I love getting to sit now and watch. But now we're sitting in the, in the row. And, and so as we're listening to the vows being shared, many times uh, the vows are the exact same vows are very close to the vows that she and I had made to one another. And so there's kind of like a reach over, grab the hand, kind of squeeze, kind of, hey, I'm still in on this, just so you know. Like, I'm, I'm all in. It's 26 years later, and I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm in on this. And so there's this way of resonating when you're hearing someone else's vows. And I want there to be the same kind of thing in us, that when we hear, even next week, when we hear people sharing in these vows, that we are saying to ourselves, yes, yes, that's my heart too. And so uh, let me invite you to do this. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And we're going to read a story about, the, uh, about this Ethiopian who came to faith. Now, uh, the team, boy, they have worked really hard to create a, a, a strong theme today. So I, my understanding is your coffee today is an Ethiopian roast. Um, and then we've worked it out. I don't know if you noticed that right when you leave today, these little summer uh, clouds, a little soft shower is going to fall on you as you leave just to remind you of today's message. So we've been working really hard. Acts 8, verse 26 
Uh, and here's what I want you to notice in this story. If you were to read through the books, book of Acts, you would notice a couple of things. One is how important it is, how vital this practice of baptism is to these first leaders of the church. But second, how, how in essence, it is not an option for those who are coming to faith. If they are coming to faith, baptism is a, is a part of that coming to faith experience. And so let's look at these things as we uh, walk in the passage. Verse 26 starts this way. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship, had gone down to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. I'll stop there before we get into the rest of it because there's two people that I want you to make sure you, you see a couple things about who they are. We're introduced to two people. Number one, Philip. Philip was a significant leader in the early church. So as you're reading through the book of Acts, you see the church grows and the, the, these uh, 12 that are trying to lead realize that they have got to uh, raise up more leaders. And so in Acts 6, we see that, that Philip is one of these seven that they, they raise up as a leader. Now, in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we see that a great persecution takes place. And it forces the, the believers out of Jerusalem, out into the world. And Philip is one of these that is forced back into the world. And we're going to watch really uniquely how God uses this very difficult situation to accomplish very wonderful things. Now, the second person we, we meet in this is the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, a couple things that we know about him is that he is, he's in charge of the treasury, which means he's the minister of finance or he's in charge of the Federal Reserve. He's in charge of the money. He has the power. He has, uh, he has to keep, keep watch over, in essence, the economy and the money and the things that are going. It is a, a position of great power. But to have a position of power like this required great cost. There was an expectation of great loyalty. And there was an expectation that you would not divert your attention or loyalty to anything else. And so you were made a eunuch so that you would not have a wife or children or descendants or anyone else to distract you from this incredible privilege and, and high position of power. Power, but not status. Because in the ancient world, family is everything. And here's this man who is going to live his entire life, in essence, alone. Uh, he will not have any family, any descendants. And so notice something as he's walking in this, as he's walking through this uh, passage, the unique way that the scriptures begin to, to grab his attention. What we see in him is that he's a spiritual man. He's willing to do a 2,300-mile journey to Jerusalem to find something he's looking for. Now, it, it was common to find people who were living in cultures where they would worship many gods to be attracted to Judaism and be attracted to this monotheistic one God worship system. And so uh, whether he uh, was already, already had the scriptures in his hand or not, or he got it after his trip, there was something, and, and particularly in the prophet Isaiah, that spoke into his life. Now notice at verse uh, 32, he's reading uh, from the book of Isaiah. This is the passage he's reading from. It says, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
Now, did you notice that line there? Who can speak of his descendants? Now, that line would have caught the eye of, of a eunuch who had no children, no descendants. And he's reading about this suffering servant. And he's seen something about God's favor on this person and God's willingness to use this person. And in his heart, he's wondering, could, could that be for me? Could God use someone like me, like he does this servant? In fact, it's interesting that just a few chapters later in the book of Isaiah, it it says these words. And maybe this is why he's taken this journey. Isaiah 56 will be here on the screen. It says, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And certainly this seems to have caught his attention one way because he's this, this incredible journey, over 2,000 miles to do this journey. But when he would have got there to worship, he only would have been allowed to go into the outer courts of the temple. He wouldn't have been allowed to go inside uh, and worship. And so now he's on his way home. Perhaps it seems, seems uh, there, there's some dissatisfaction. But don't you love what God does next? Don't you love what God is up to there's this, notice this moment. Notice what happens in the passage. Now, uh, I don't know if you caught it. Remember what it said, that uh, Philip was led out, not to this metropolis, but to this desert road. He's in the middle of nowhere. And notice verse 29, it says this, the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch asked Philip, uh, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, this is really exciting because I think in some ways, if you think, Think about your life. You'll, you'll realize in some ways. Notice the unique way in which God finds you. God finds him on this desert road. Uh, he prompts Philip. He prompts his heart. He says, go and talk. And Philip could have said, ah, you know, what, what am I going to say? But Philip has a faith that God is up to something in the life of, of this person. So he goes. He hears these things. He asks him about it. He's invited into the chariot and they begin a conversation. And what I love about this, this conversation is what we, see, what we saw earlier in the, the year. The, the, he shares with him the story. So he takes him in to this lower story, this, kind of, this, this moment in time. And he starts, starts to explain it. But notice what he does. And then starting there, he begins to tell the whole story regarding Jesus. And so he's able to go from the lower story to God's upper story, his bigger story. And he can begin to share this desire that God has that he was created to be in a relationship with God. And he begins to show everything, just as Jesus had done with his disciples, where he would show the whole story and how he was connected to the whole story up until that point. But you know that what he had to start doing is as he got to Jesus and he got to that part of the story, he starts sharing about what God is doing, what God is doing, uh, has been doing in the lives of people. And the stories of what are happening and the, and, the, and the faith that they're coming to and the baptisms and all these things. Because notice what happens as they're traveling. It says this uh, in verse 36. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? 
And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. The eunuch expresses his faith. He sees the water. He's heard the stories and he says, that's me. There's water. Let's do this. Can we do this? And, and the verb indicates something powerful is happening. More than just one person. Something, this is like a, a, a and I think this is why uh, Luke gives us this story. This is a significant uh, story in the world. This is a significant story in the telling of the gospel. That more than just this man's life being changed, we see all these barriers being broken. Race and religion and all these different things that anyone, all who are, are, are looking are welcomed in, are called in to have faith and become part of this family. And it's an incredible moment that, that is taken in. And this is why we start seeing scriptures talk about there's neither Gentile or Jew, slave, free, male, female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And something happens. So, so let's think about this. Why was, why was the Ethiopian so excited to be baptized? And why was Philip so eager to baptize him. What is it about baptism, uh, about this, uh, the act of baptism that was so important to them and should be important to us? Two things I want us to see today. Here's the first thing, is that baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism tells the story of Jesus. It, what it tells is a love story, right? It tells the story of what God was willing to do to be in relationship with us. It tells the story of God sending his son into the world and what the son was willing to do. And Brian did a great job of, of helping us kind of resonate with that a little bit today. That, the, that as Philippians says, this king left his throne. He entered this world. He took on flesh. He became a servant and gave himself in death, even death on a cross. But Jesus, we know, is not just our martyr. He's not just a hero from history. He rose and he is alive. In the early church, there was a, a, a saying that they held to. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. We might say it's kind of one of the first creeds, one of the first things that they, they held uh, their, themselves uh, uh, to. It, it says this, For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. In this again, we see this is when they held to these words, what you saw was not just this moment of what Jesus did in that one time in space in those, in those 33 years of history, but notice what they say, according to the scriptures, that the whole story, the whole upper story of what God is trying to do, we can see it in this moment. And they held to it and they celebrated. He came, he lived, he died, he was buried, but he's risen again. And baptism tells that story. Baptism tells that story that, that when you go under the water, you in essence are telling that story that we of what we believe. That Jesus, he died for our sins, he was buried, but that he rose again in new life. It tells this story. So I, th one of the reasons why it's fun to do uh, baptisms at the beach is we storytell with the world. We tell this story out loud to the world. Now, when we, you are baptized here, we encourage you, invite friends, invite family. When we do it to the beach, we can't really control who the crowd is going to be. And, it's, and sometimes there's some very interesting people with some very interesting bathing suits that are standing nearby. But it's, it's awesome because in essence, it's a chance for you 
to tell the story of what we believe has happened. This is the good news. Something's happened. God has intervened in our world. When we were kind of taking it to chaos, God didn't give up on us. But he sent his son and he's died for us. He's been buried, but he's risen. He's alive and he's coming again. And so we ask this question. We'll ask you this question. Are you trusting in Jesus alone as your savior? Trusting what he did on the cross will forgive your sins and give you eternal life. This is the first question the person will say, yes. Yes, I am. I am trusting this. And and think about what you're saying when you see this and and the way you're responding. Because what you're saying is, I believe that, that my salvation is not based on something I could do or did do. I'm saying my salvation is based on something that God did for me. Now, friends, those of you uh, so that have been baptized, when we hear this question, it is a reminder to us, am I still, am, am I holding to this sense of faith of, and, and, and wonder and worship of what God has done for me and celebrating this? See, baptism is saying that, that, that my new life has been made possible. This, remember, Jesus, his, his promises were this, abundant life, eternal life. I like how one guy put it. He says, it's really the life we have with Jesus is abundant life eternally. It's never ending. It's a life that begins that moment of faith when, the, when we receive the spirit. It's not just our sins are forgiven. It's it, our sins are forgiven so that we can, we can experience salvation. Life, it's about life. So baptism tells the story of what Jesus has done for me. But then it tells a second story. And the second story is this. It tells the story Baptism represents our new life in Jesus, our new life in Jesus. And so it's a physical representation of something inward, something spiritual. You are saying outwardly, my old life has died and been buried and I have been risen to live a new life. Not I have lived a a new life, but I am living this life. So here's some important things to think about in this. Uh, uh, as we think about this, that in essence, what you're saying is saying, this, this is the old me. As you've know, known me, I want you to know that this is symbolic of, of my life. It's, been, it, I'm, it's dead. That old me is gone, buried, and now I've been risen to live a new life. That doesn't say you have figured it out yet. The Ethiopian hadn't had it figured out yet. I don't know anyone in here who has it figured out yet, starting here, okay? We're all still working on it. We're all still figuring out. Sometimes folks will say, ah, I'm just not ready yet. And they kind of want to work on it for like two years and get ready. And it's kind of like, I I will just uh, share my own neurotic tendencies. It's like when, if my wife and I ever invite someone to come clean our house, we're embarrassed at how dirty it is. So we clean it first so that we don't appear as dirty. I don't know that any of you do this, but we don't want to appear as dirty as we really are. We want to, we want to clean it up first and then you can kind of put the finishing touches on it. And I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we paying someone to do what we just did? And I want you to know in some ways that there is something for us. You're not saying you have it all figured out yet and that you're all the way there yet. But what you're saying is, here's who I was. Here's who I am now. Here's who I am moving forward. God is more interested 
in our direction. This is what it is. It speaks about direction. It doesn't speak about perfection. It speaks about direction of where my life is going. So we will ask a question. We will ask this question. With God's help, okay, not, not you in willpower, with God's help, will you follow Jesus no matter where he leads you, no matter what it costs you? Now, this is a, this is a big part of the question because it's saying more than intellectual assent, I'm saying because of what he's done, How could I do anything but live for him, live with him, follow him wherever he leads me? Why would I not follow the one who is offering me, promising me life? My old life, this is why we did under construction. That old stuff, as we walk with him, Lord, tear that down. Your new stuff start to build up. And this is the process that we're in. Now, baptism is an interesting word. So as you, as you look at this phrase here, think about this. Baptism is an interesting word. Remember, it means to be immersed in something, to, to plunge in all the way. Are you, are you, those of you who have been baptized, when we see something like this, can you say, my life is immersed in the life of Jesus? Can you say that? When you see that, when you hear someone share that, can you say, ah, yes, my life needs to be immersed in the life of Jesus. Now, when we see these, these kinds of, of uh, we see a, a vow like this, we realize this is kind of significant. And that's why when you attend a baptism here or at the beach, you'll hear a ton of cheering and a lot of fist bumps, okay? There's a lot, there's a lot of fist pumping in the air because the people who are going through this realize what this is saying about their life, what, what a big deal this is in their life. Uh, if you knew Wendy, well, Jeff uh, here, they're, they're, uh, Jeff's a leader in our, our Celebrate Recovery ministry, and uh, they're leaders in our, our Huntington Beach campus. Jeff would come forward every Sunday and pray for his wife because his wife didn't know Jesus. And every week for years, he'd come every Sunday as we end the service, he'd come and pray, pray for his wife. And I remember the one Sunday, I remember one Sunday and she was here and I, I just, I went to my office and I'm like, Wendy's here. And she just, by her own admission would tell you her life, there was just a darkness to it. She just wasn't happy. Uh, but God was like the Ethiopian. God found her first in the middle of the night. You can hear her story. She'll tell it to you. But an amazing story. But that morning when she gave her life to Christ and when you see this baptism, if you see her and know her now, this is her. She is, a, she is a fist pump in the air of, I have this new life. Is her life perfect? Not even close. Uh, but living this life of faith. I love one of, uh, uh, you will see all these folks that do this. I, I got a chance to, to visit a church and I was listening to this one pastor share the story of a friend of his. He was praying for this friend, uh, this adult friend of his, like his, his entire adult life. He always resisted Jesus. And finally, this friend just realized my life, my life needs God. And, and, and they, their conversations got deeper till he got to this point of saying, I want to, I believe, I want to follow him. And so it got time for his baptism. And so the pastor said this to his friend, they were gonna, doing a baptism. They, for them, they were in the Midwest, they're doing it in a lake. He said this, he said, all right, so here's how it works. I'm going to hold you under the water as long as I think it takes for your sins to be forgiven. <laughs> and everyone laughed like this. And then he showed the video of it. 
And I kid you not, he took his friend and he kind of grabbed him and kind of picked him up and then took him all the way down to the bottom of the lake where all you could see on the pastor was just his head. He just kind of held him under the water and then almost like soaking him and then just ripped him up like almost threw him to the sky, kind of, God, he's yours now, kind of threw him up in the air. And it was just the greatest thing. When the guy kind of finished it all, he kind of, they looked at each other and just went, ah, and then just this big embrace. Like it was just the coolest thing. And so this is what you see, I think, in, in some sense, because there is something when our hearts and lives change. One of the things that's been neat to see here at Beach Point is so many adults have come to faith in these last years. A lot of times, a lot of our baptisms were kids and youth, but now to see so many adults who are finding life in Jesus and realize, I don't want that anymore. And so they're turning from that old life, they're turning to Jesus and finding this new life in him. That that vow is so significant. And for us, think about it. It, I don't know how much you think about uh, that vow and how much that, that means to you. In other parts of the world, that vow has, has such significant meaning because of the cost that is required in following Jesus. And so for some people, uh, in one country, I, this, is, this is how that vow is, is uh, expressed a little. They ask these kinds of questions. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you and forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? See, my hope for you is that when you see someone making that vow, that those of us who've already made that vow, who've already said this, are saying, yes, Lord, again, yes, that's my heart to, again today. Yes, I will follow you. And if I haven't been following, to say, Lord, forgive me. Because that is who I want to be. That is my heart. So who is baptism for? It's for those who, who those vows resonate with. It's for the Ethiopian who's willing to travel 2,300 miles. Not just to be turned away, but to be found in the middle of a desert. Uh, this is who it's for. Those who are fi- seeking God's life and God's acceptance. This is who baptism is for. And when the first sermon was over, the people asked, what should we do? When we, they heard the story of Jesus, they said, what should we do? And here's what Peter said. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit See, baptism is this thing we are reminded that no matter what you've done or where you've been, this is this call home. Baptism is this this new beginning in us. And so notice the instructions to repent, turn our lives to God, to embrace this gospel, this truth. And what we see is this baptism. Who's it for? It is for everyone, everyone who finds new life in Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you, again, what we see in this is, uh, uh, here's the vows that you're going to see. And I want to put them up here as we close. Are you trusting in Jesus alone as your Savior? Trusting what he did on the cross to forgive your sins and give you eternal life? And with God's help, will you follow Jesus no matter where he leads you, no matter what it costs you? If, the, if you have not yet been baptized, does this 
Does this resonate in your heart? Can you say this and say, that's, that's where I'm at. That's who I am. Because if that's where you're at and that's who you are, I, I want to encourage you. There's a connect card. And on the connect card, you can write on it. You can mark it on the back. You can put baptism and place it in the red buckets afterwards. In the, on the website, if you go to beachpoint.com, hit the Fountain Valley campus, there's a little scrolling pictures. The second picture is, is a baptism picture. Click it, and there's a little registration form. I want to encourage you, okay? I want to encourage you. This is a time for you to respond. Respond in faith. Now, for those of us who have already been baptized, does this once again, does this once again pull at your heart and say to you at the deepest level, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. This expresses my faith. And this is why I'm here to worship today. It's not about me. It's about him. And if so, let's, let's do that. So here's how we're going we're gonna to close in just a moment and worship. Uh, and uh, our ushers are going to uh, pass to you the trays. We're going to share in communion together. And here's what I want, want to encourage you with. Uh, I don't want this to be all about just your commitment to Jesus. Stop for a second. Let's remember first his commitment to us. It's not about our love of him first. It's about how he first loved us. And so just a moment as we uh, sing these final songs and the ushers will will, uh, pass these trays. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which has been broken for you. Take and eat and remember me. He took a cup and he passed it and shared this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and remember me. And the Apostle Paul says this, that for the, as the church began to practice this, they said, when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, what we do is we proclaim his death. We announce that we, we celebrate it. We remember it. Until he comes again. We believe not just that Jesus died and was buried. We believe that he is risen, that he is coming. And so as you think about what it takes, and, and, and this, is a, this is a significant commitment. But I want you to first know this. There, it comes nowhere close to the kind of commitment that God has already made to you and expressed to you. And so what we want to do is this is our response to his commitment to us. And so let's share in the bread and cup. If you are someone who believe in these things, when the tray comes, we encourage you take, make sure you grab both cups. You got to give it a little twist to get them apart. Okay. But take your time. And when you're ready, eat, drink, and remember him. And so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just ask that in this uh, short time, that you make us mindful once again of your life, your death, uh, your burial, your resurrection, that in you we have life, life eternal, life abundant. And so let us be drawn to the great uh, sense of, of commitment that you have to us, your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you're ready, eat and drink.